Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, is my co-hostess, Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room this evening, uh, Nicole from Guiding Echoes, Nicole Guillaume, is helping us out. We are still in the search for our uh, new chat moderator. So uh, if anybody wants to step up and volunteer, that'd be fantastic. But she has volunteered at least to help for this week. So thank you, Nicole, for volunteering to help out down there in the chat room. We have a fantastic show coming up tonight. L.A. Marzulli is with us this evening. He's an author, lecturer, filmmaker. He's penned eight books, including the Nephilim Trilogy, which made the CBA bestsellers list. And uh, what, what's with the three? No, the ten and three. Oh, okay, ten and yeah. Thirteen. <laughs> okay. Thirteen books. Thirteen yes. books. Oh. I, I got this. Uh, this was the bio I was given. So. <laughs> But uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Giants, Nephilim, story behind the Watchers, Mound Builders, uh, ancient America, ancient history across the world. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic conversation. This is, uh, this is material I am always interested in, and I know Victoria has a lot of questions as well. So without further ado, L.A., welcome to the show. Hey, Mike and Victoria, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Great Hi to be there. here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we'll just, you know, start with with some of the basics and uh, then we'll get into some of the deeper topics you know where where did your interest in this material come from this is you know something i've seen a, a lot of in recent years but you've been doing this a long time where, where did this start for you it started with a book that i read about 30 years ago by a man that was to become my mentor dr i d e thomas the book was called the omega conspiracy and it changed my life utterly changed my life and i read that book and i read his uh source materials bibliography and i contacted him he lived also in southern california in century city and i interviewed him and met him and uh, we became good friends he passed away in 2014 but i received my honorary doctorate from dr ibe thomas uh, which was just a real honor for me and i would like to think that we've carried on his work i, I think if he was alive and he saw what we've uncovered, I think he would he would be beaming ear to ear. At least I'd like to think that. So that's kind of what got me into it. But that's, you know, literally 30 years ago. Um, before that, uh, I was always interested um, in, in the arcane. I mean, always. I was I was drawn to things like uh, late, late, late great planet Earth, uh, Hal Lindsey. But then on yeah. the other side of the coin, uh, Eric Von Donegan's book, Chariots of the Gods. Life changer. Yeah, it's Peter, classic. Uh, Peter, Peter Tompkins, Secrets of the Pyramid, of the Great Pyramid. I mean, Carlos Castaneda. Um, I was with a guru for three years. My third eye was opened. I had spirit guides. I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of, I've been there and done that, you know. And um, later on, I had a Paul on the Road to Damascus experience, which was absolutely life changing. That's forty years ago, going on forty-one years ago this June. I've never looked back, and uh, uh, the series, the new series, Armatrail of Nephilim, boasts six films. We're working on seven, which is called Lost Civilizations. Eight, nine, and ten, we've got the film for it. We've just got to edit it. So uh, we're, we're very busy, and, and I'm I'm 70 years old. So it's like you know, most people are playing shuffleboard someplace. I'm out running around with you know cameras and interviewing people. I, I just I love what I do. Um, I'm passionate about it, and I, I hope that passion, uh, you know, is, is translated in the film. But you wouldn't have it any other way, would you? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I would not take you for, for 70. You have you know, so much energy about you right now, and, yeah, you clearly have well, a passion you. for this material. So that that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope I have so much energy when, when I'm 70. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just turned 70 in December. So oh, well, happy right. birthday. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So We're let's. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you know, the Nephilim, the Giants, the yeah. Watchers. You know, there there are a lot of different, uh, you know, theories and ideas about you know what these particular uh, beings were. So and, and you have this fantastic series. The last one was on uh, the DNA. So what have your findings been? Well, basically, and I, I talk about this in all the films, there is a hidden history which has been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. Um, this this history is all around us. You know, you said, you know, Mike, you're, you're in, um, in Ohio. 
And you, we talked off air about your visit to certain mounds like Cahokia outside of St. Yeah. Louis. But I'm assuming also the Octagon Mound, the Great Circle Mound, Miamisburg. Yeah. I mean, the list is endless. And archaeologists, it, it, it's really a joke. Um, that's Cahokia right there. I've been there once. Want to go back and really dig into it more. It's the largest mound in the Americas, the largest mound in the Americas. Yep. We're looking at about upwards of 250,000 tons of earth. So what does that look like? What is 250,000 tons of earth, and why does it matter? Um, the official narrative is that Native Americans used primitive tools. They used uh, clamshell hose, digging sticks, um, uh, flint hose, this type of stuff. So what we did in our second film, actually our first film, and the mysterious mound builders in the series, we hired a flint napper to make a replica of a stone flint hoe that would museum quality, except it's new. It's not 6,000 years old. <laughs> right. well, he made the, the implement, the hoe. We hired a fit laborer. We went out to a place, the second largest mound in America is called Poverty Point. It's in Louisiana. So we weren't digging at the mound, but we were digging very close to it. And he's out there, and we show all this on the film. So he's out there using this hole, and he's digging and digging, and it's kind of a joke, and he gathers the dirt up with his hands. There are no shovels, and uh, puts it into a bucket instead of a deer hide and promptly carries it maybe 100 yards, maybe 150 yards to where the mound would have been. He dumps the bucket and then pushes it down with his feet. Well, when I show this at conferences, I show the footage at conferences, the audience is howling with laughter. They are just absolutely, I mean, the, it, it becomes apparent when you start deconstructing this ridiculous narrative set forth by modern-day archaeologists, in my opinion, with all due respect to them. Um, it just doesn't work. So what does 250,000 tons of earth look like? Well, there's another series of mounds in Ohio. It's called Fort Ancient. Been there one time. Got to go back. So much information. And it's just 3.5 miles of continuous earthen walls. It's been there forever. There were 66 gates originally between the mounds. 3.5 million uh, tons, 3.5 miles of earthen walls. Some of the earthen walls go up 20, 30 feet. All right? It's a very mysterious site. Mainstream archaeologists tell us that Native Americans built this with clamshell hose, digging sticks, all this type of nonsense. Okay, so there's this guy called Docent Jack, and Docent Jack is lecturing everybody. We have a, we show it in the film, and he says, what is 200,000 or 190,000 tons of earth look like? Because Fort Ancient is smaller than Cahokia. Right. So we can't do the 250, but we, we can surmise what that might look like, 250,000 tons of earth at Cahokia. So let's go with around 190,000. Let's round it up to 200,000 tons of earth at Fort Ancient. If you took a dump truck and filled that dump truck, and then here's the dump truck, then you bring another dump truck next to it, doink, and then another dump truck next to that, doink, and doink, 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 and you do this, dump trucks, bumper to bumper, end to end. Want to take a guess? Probably several thousand. <laughs> try try 200 miles. Oh, wow. Of oh, dump wow. truck end to end. Wow. 200 miles. This blows the whole thing out of the water. And this is one mound. You know, this is one series of mounds for an ancient. When you get to Cahokia, which is 250,000 tons of earth, uh, and the plaza is 45 acres in front of the mound. You, it, you see the road there at the bottom? The plaza's on the other side. So originally, the plaza led up to the mound here. Um, yeah. yeah. The artist interpretation of there you the go. ancient. The plaza that you see here, I spoke to one of the archaeologists. <clears throat> the plaza that you see is level within four inches. Wow. And that's that's after impressive. Thousands. Yeah. Extremely impressive. So how was that done? So we are looking at something that's incredibly enigmatic, incredibly enigmatic and mysterious. But, you know, the, and, and by the way, that's the Mississippi River in the background. Right. So it's always by a waterway. 
Um, the mound was absolutely humongous, the largest mound in the Americas. And they have really have no idea. They say they do, but they really have no idea how it was constructed and by whom. They'll say things like, well, it was the Hopewell, it's the Adena culture, it's the Fort Ancient culture. They, they make up names. They don't even know what the people who were there called themselves. That's why, you know, they call it Cahokia and Monk's Mound. Monk's Mound is named after a, a group of uh, a religious order that camped on top of the thing. So that's what right. we're looking at. And that's just one mound. Just one Monk's Mound, Cahokia. That's just one. It's the largest. But when you start deconstructing things, there are 10,000 mounds in your state, Mike, Ohio. 10,000 mounds in Ohio alone. So let me get this straight. All, all First Nation people did all day long was make, make these mounds. For what ends? How do they compact the earth? And when you look at an Adena mound, they call it an Adena mound. They don't know what the people called themselves. Right. They make it up. They just make their name up. Oh, it was the Adena. It was the Hopewell over here. I mean, they make this stuff up. They have no idea of what these, whoever did it, what they call themselves. So, you know, a mound, you would look something like this, right? Nice, gentle slopes. Well, the Adena Mound looks about, I'm trying to, so you can see it, about about like something like this. Yeah, there we go. Gotcha. <laughs> the, angle, the angle is very steep. And for all of you out there, I'm not doing any type of Masonic answer. <laughs> don't start emailing me. This, this is all size, symbolism right here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the sides to the Adena Mound are very, very steep, and it sort of begs the question, how did they compact all this earth? And there's, there's a mound um, in West Virginia, which we visited several times. And when they, this is like back in the 1800s, when they went into the mound, they realized that uh, it was, the dirt was packed so tightly that they didn't need to shore it up with timbers. And they actually made a museum in the interior of the mound. <clears throat> and we show a picture a lithograph from, we're not sure when it was, but it's a lithograph. It's an old, old picture. And it shows a woman in a full-length, um, you know, a hoop dress. So, you know, it's very tight-fitting up here. And then below the waist, it hoops out. And they show a man with coattails and a top hat. 1870, 1880, we don't know. But some circa that time around it. Behind these guys, this woman with a child and a man, and the man is very close to this very large skeleton, very large skeleton, probably upwards of nine feet. And we published that in our film, uh, Mysterious Mound Builders, Mathematical Mysteries of the Mound Builders. And immediately this, this archaeologist tried to deconstruct it. Well, what he did is he took the photograph that we had. It was a photograph of a lithograph that was posted on, uh, on the museum, all right? in the museum proper. We photographed it. Fritz Zimmerman talks about it. And what he did is he photoshopped so the skeleton no longer looked like a giant. And we held his feet to the fire. And see, why why are you doing this? You know, why are you lying to your people and, and, and you know, telling us a bunch of hooey when here's the original photograph. I, I challenge you to a debate right now. You know, a, a, a fair-minded one. Nothing vituperative or you know, or dart throwing, that type of thing. Let's talk about it. Can we have a conversation? Because what you did is totally dishonest. Yeah, and it seems like that's been quite common over you know, the, the decades or even you know, the last 150 years that a lot of these, you know, giant skeletons were discovered. You see newspaper articles, you know, dating, like I said, like about 150 years ago, 100 years ago, where they were discovering these things. And then they disappeared or you know, the discovery was covered up. Why is this happening? Well, because it, it basically goes against the Darwinian paradigm. It's, it's something that they don't want to deal with. <clears throat> first of all, it hails back <clears throat> to the Native American First Nation people who tell us that there were large 8, 9, 10, 12-foot giants roaming the earth. They had six fingers. They were cannibalistic, sexually deviant. Now, we've heard this from numerous people um, that have come on the record. <coughs> Excuse me. First Nation person, Chief Joseph Riverwind, um, 
talks about it. He's in all three films. Um, there's a man by the name of, I can't think of his first name, but his last name is Mirabal, who came on the record in On the Trail of a Nephilim and talked about the Giants, the Paiutes, Sarawin and Muck. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's, it's from coast to coast. They All the tribes talk about this race of red-haired, uh, six-fingered, cannibalistic Giants, which roamed the Americas. So all of a sudden we find evidence of that. Well, what does that mean? Then it goes back into the biblical narrative that says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, the days of Noah, and also afterwards, when the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men, the human daughters of men, took them as wives, went into them in the biblical sense, and sired these giants known as the Nephilim. They were a hybrid entity, part um, off-world interdimensional entity and part human woman. So they're a hybrid. They're a hybrid entity. And wherever the Nephilim are, um, they're incredibly decadent. They're, they're cannibalistic, um, sexually deviant in all, all sorts of ways. And they would eat the blood, eat the flesh and drink the blood of human beings. And this was global. And we find evidence of it on a global level. So there's a phrase I came up with, Nephilim architecture, fallen angel technology. And all these sites that you go to, they are highly charged. At least they were highly charged sites. Some of them are, some of them still are, some of them not so much. Um, the proof of that would be Hunbat's men and Mayan elder going to the Great Serpent Mountain in Ohio and performing a ritual there. We show this in our third episode, Secrets of the Supernatural Voices, from the other side. And we clearly demonstrate and show uh, that what was going on with Hunbat's men and the Mayan elders, in our opinion, is not a good thing. He's opening up a gateway. He's opening up a portal. The question is, what is he opening it up to? And what's our litmus test to ascertain and discern whether these entities that he's opening the gateway to are benevolent or malevolent? You know, how are we going to know that? And the, the, the proof text, I, when I'm at conferences, I say, okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, someone knocks on your door at 2.30 in the morning. They have their head down. You can't see what they look like. And they say, can I come in and use the phone? How many of you would allow that person into your house? Please raise your hand. No one, no one ever raises their hand because no one's, <laughs> you know, that nutso. Oh, come on. Take a chance. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Who right? has phones? I mean, here's yeah, right. phone. <laughs> so um, the bottom line is Hunbat's man and the Mayan elders are opening up this gateway at the Great Serpent now. And in the film, we also show this man, Henry Gruber, who passed away a couple of years ago. And he was trying to close the gateway and also um, mitigate the blood rituals that were done there. And he went and, and did that. And as he's walking off the mound, he's hit in the solar plexus with this unseen force. He's alone. No one's there. <clears throat> it's snowing. He falls to the ground. His knees come up to his chest, and he can't move. He's paralyzed. And he realizes after about 15 minutes as it's snowing that he's going to die. He's going to freeze to death unless something happens. <clears throat> and he eventually gets out of it. Um, there are forces that are much greater than the malevolent ones that control that site. And uh, basically, Henry prayed, and, you know, the God of the universe released them with a warning. You know, don't come here unless I tell you to come here. Don't do, don't do what you're trying to do unless I tell you to come here. And Henry was not told to go there. So he acted on his own you know, just figure, well, I'll just go there and close the gateway here. Not so fast, citizen. And uh, after, Henry was there well in advance of 2012. And in 2012 is when the Mayan elders showed up. Let me ask you <coughs> something here, because I've been to a couple of these sites. Uh, I was on Eagle's Mound a few years back uh, at the Great Circle Earthworks. Uh, in in words, yep, right. yep. And I had a drone, you know, fully charged, get about 24 minutes to the battery. And your Mon battery's got drained. Battery got drained. About two minutes up in the air, done. 
So, you know, I, I do believe these sites are still energetically charged, but you know, they've been so mismanaged over the years that they've fallen disre- into disrepair to, to some degree, at least. So how much more so were, were these places energized, you know, eons ago? And what's interesting is we don't know who built them. I mean, I think I know who built them. That's the whole basis of the film. It's Nephilim architecture. <clears throat> and then they just vanish. Yeah. They, I mean, the Native Americans that, that, that were there, when the white men came into the Circle Mound area, they asked Native Americans, well, who built this? And First Nation people said, we don't know. It was here right. when we got here. Now, we can believe that, or we can go, well, these people are stupid and they don't know anything. And, uh, you know, they're just primitive savages. Or we can realize that their oral history is very sacrosanct to them. And they take a great amount of time and care to preserve their oral history. What's interesting is, is Native Americans go, it was here when we got here. Whoever did it disappears. They just completely disappear. So there's this guy at the turn of the uh, 18th or the 19th and the 20th century by the name of Cyrus Thomas. There was all this ballyhoo, if I can use that word. A lot of arguments to who built the mounds and what's going on here. Is it it a lost civilization? So Cyrus Thomas was in charge, and he basically stated this. And when I say this at conferences, the audience just breaks into laughter, and, and, and rightfully so. So people were saying, it looks like we've got a lost civilization. We find giant skeletons, artifacts, which don't make any sense. Cyrus Thomas said, no, nope, you're all wrong. This is what we're going to say. This is what happened. Native Americans built all these mounds, but they just forgot that they had done so. <laughs> Oopsie. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, because I also heard that um, at America's Stonehenge, they found um, giant bones and artifacts and things. And also out with the Anastasi, there were um, giant skeletons found. Do you think these people were attracted to these sites, the the Native Americans and whomever, because they are sites of power um, and they were just already there? And they said, hey, you know, we Um, need to go over here. We were there at the spring equinox at the Great Serpent Mound. And there was there was a coven of witches who were there performing a ceremony. They know exactly who the serpent is and who they serve. And that's why they go there, that they're trying to draw in serpent power. Same thing with Hunbat's men. He's all about serpent energy, serpent power. Who's the serpent? Who's the prince of the power of the air? So very, very malevolent entity. But he 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 really, in some ways, controls the planet, at least in part right now. And he did set up a a network, uh, which we see globally. All these sites are interconnected. And we showed that in the first, uh, the the fifth film in the series, the Axis Mundi, the center of the world. That's what Axis Mundi means. Mm -hmm. And so Axis Mundi, which is America Stonehenge, is connected to all these different sites. Something is going on here. And you show this, you know, I mean, hardcore physical evidence, but these people, See, they go through this, this mind tunnel called college, and they learn this stuff, and they just regurgitate what they're told. Many people never, ever look at go, you know what? I'm not buying the, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid here. I'm not buying the official narrative. Something else is going on. Because if you say that, you don't get the grade, and you'll never become an archaeologist, and you'll never work or never have a dig site and all this other stuff. Well, I'm not an archaeologist. I was on a show with this guy called Jeff Jansen. Uh, it was Sid Ross, one of Sid Ross' satellite um, shows. And uh, I'm a supernatural. And we did four shows together. We were only supposed to do one. Then he was intrigued. We did two, three. After the third, he goes, come back at 4 o'clock. We'll do the fourth one. So I did. <laughs> so we did four shows in one day, uh, which was great. <coughs> but Jeff Jansen got some... Almond thing in my. Let me get a. That's right. Go ahead and grab a sip of water. Jeff Jansen called me a supernatural archaeologist, and in some ways, that's really what I suppose I am, because I'm armed with a view of the supernatural. And having been on both sides of the aisle, uh, I mentioned the beginning: spirit guides, Carlos Castaneda, vision, mind quests, vision quests. I mean, you know, I I went to um, silver mind control. 
I was with a guru for three years. I mean, I explored the LSD, mescaline, but not not recreational to try to pop out, pop in. What's going on? Where am I? Right. And of course, when you do that, it's like you know, there's a bit a posh party going on, and 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 you come riding in, you know, breaking down the front door in a '57 Chevy or something, going, "Hi, I'm here." And uh, you know, when you read uh, Graham Graham Hancock's book Supernatural, you know, he takes the ayahuasca and he pops up yeah. and he goes, "What are the Grays doing here? I don't get it." And he keeps taking it over and over and over again to try to figure stuff out. And which you really shouldn't do, in my opinion. But, you know, that's Graham. And he's uh, <laughs> at the very end of the book. He, he just says, whoever these entities are, they are obsessed in creating a hybrid entity with us. You're in my wheelhouse. That's my wheelhouse. Right. That's the whole Genesis 6 deal. That's the days of Noah. That's why the flood happened. That's why the Nephilim were there. It, it's complex. It's supernatural. Um, and, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that goes on in the research that we never really talk about. Because, you know, you, you don't want to spook people. But some of the spiritual, supernatural attacks that we've had at these sites are just off the hook. It's still a classic struggle of good versus evil, basically. Exactly what it is. Yeah. Exactly what it is. Okay, can I ask a couple of questions? Yeah, Victoria, by all means, go okay. ahead. And, and okay. I, I know I've kind of taken the question so far, oh, but no. go right ahead. Okay, this is this will get to a point, you know, <laughs> eventually. Um, but there were four races of giants in the Bible, right? Is, it, is that what I did? I read that correctly. Um, and one was called the Zimzum, and that they were the buzzing people. They were like yeah, the long necks. Okay, on a key long neck. Okay. You know, Zamzumin, the buzzing ones. Okay. And they were described by what they looked like, not like, hey, his name is Fred or his name is Ted. They were described by their characteristics. So, um, right. And they were described as the fallen ones. Um, some people say they were angels. Maybe they fell from grace. But I was thinking, what if they were not really falling, but they descended down to the earth, um, like they were extraterrestrials? And perhaps these were the insectoid um, extraterrestrials. Because the Hopi um, talk about the ant people, and that's also in ancient Egypt, and they all have the elongated skulls, and they go down into the earth when they couldn't live on the land anymore. So, um, and then there was like the, uh, what was the Anakim, which is, which is kind of long neck. Okay. Long. which reminded me of the Anastasi, you know, again, the star people, um, and they're, they're all connecting. So, um could there have been like, and even in Ezekiel, it said, you know, that the fallen ones came down and then they had um, tools of wars or weapons of war or something like that. Yeah, they so, did. Right. So perhaps there was like a big, you know, a war or some natural disaster or, you know, uh, what do they call it, uh, act of God or something, you know, that couldn't be controlled and they had to go underground to survive. Yeah, this is my question. <laughs> 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 it's, I'm getting there. Um could they have been extraterrestrials? And when they took people to live underground, could this be where the hollow earth theory started? Because, you know, they were living in the ground to survive. Well, there's only two paradigms one can embrace. Mm -hmm. They are either extraterrestrial or interdimensional. My, my position is they are not extraterrestrial, they are interdimensional. Okay. And I go with exactly what the text tells us, that the Hebrew says, the B'nai Ha Elohim which basically means fallen angel. When you say angel, immediately people have this, whoop, no, can't go there, sorry. They have no idea what you're looking at. It just means messenger. It comes from the Greek angelo. It means messenger. The bottom line is these are incredibly powerful entities that can manipulate space, time, matter, and energy in ways that defy our physics. That's what they do. And what we see with the Nephilim in, in what's called the Levant or the promised land, we, when, when Joshua and Caleb go in about 3,500 years ago, there's a list of tribes that are there. Mm -hmm. The Anakim, the Zanzamim, the Rephaim, the Nephilim, the Emims, they all have different genetic characteristics. In my opinion, what we are looking at is the fallen cherub, the prince of the power of the air, is attempting to create a hybrid being, an entity, which looks and can pass as human, 
but he fails all the time. And so the Horites is another one, which means cave dwellers, all right? Anakim means long neck. And we get into all this um, in uh, episode six, basically the DNA, because we, we're the only team. We are the only team to date. Now, there's a team at UCLA that said, well, you know, we, we examine these elongated skulls. So when we asked them, how many elongated skulls did you actually examine? They never wrote back. So much for academia, right? So with all due respect, I mean, come on, guys. It's a simple question. We are the only team that went down, extracted the DNA, 58 samples from 18 skulls. We're it. And on top of that, I interviewed doctors, uh, surgeons, optometrists, chiropractors, anthropologists, archaeologists. Every we, we have now come to a conclusion that whatever this is is not the result of head binding when you bind a child right. with cloth and board and stuff and elongate the skull. Cranial deformation has nothing to do with that. This is genetic. It's genetic. And the haplogroups that we discovered, not all of the samples, but many of the samples showed Middle Eastern, including the Druze population, which was a mind blower, Middle Eastern, Eastern European connection. Well, that's Nephilim Central. Mm -hmm. And so our, that was our hypothesis that if these were Nephilim, then we should see genetic aberrations. We should see haplogroups that point to Middle Eastern origin. And guess what? They do. But guess what academia does? This isn't. No, this is not in our wheelhouse, Marzulli. Everything was contaminated. And they just, we're at the point where we can't get a DNA lab to even test our stuff anymore. If they hear the name Marzulli, Peruvian skulls, they won't, they won't, they won't get near it. So you've we'll essentially been blackballed. Completely. Yeah, that's a shame. So, that's science for you, right? That's science. <laughs> so, you know, our challenge is, where are we going wrong, guys? 58 samples. Oh, it's all contaminated. Well, if it was all contaminated, you would have my DNA or Mondo's, and you would have nuclear DNA. Well, we never got nuclear DNA because the samples were pure. We were dressed in head-to-toe lab suits, masks on, eye coverings, hair things. I mean, head-to-toe, double sleeves, gloves, the whole nine yards. We changed out of that lab suit every time a different sample came in. We blew each other off with compressed air. Are you kidding me? It's insulting. Mm -hmm. It's insulting to Mondo Gonzalez, the lead archaeologist, um, Rick, um, our, our, our anthropologist, Rick Woodward, and others. I mean, you know, come on, guys. I mean, how much information do we have to do before you'll even take a look at it? But they won't. We so, don't care because we know they, the truth. Are they denying it because it doesn't fit the narrative? Because exactly. the, nar the narrative it, is all about controlling humans? No, but well, Darwinism it, and all that kind of stuff and, you know, religion. That's, that's true. Religion. Look, religion is used. Some religion is used to control. But right. there is a, there is an ultimate truth, in my opinion. Uh, there is, yeah. And everything. There's a green. I mean, there, there is an ultimate truth. What what grinds them is it points against the Darwinian paradigm. It blows the Darwinian paradigm right out of the water. And they don't like that because they've all hung their intellectual hats on Darwinism. Well, you know, at a time we all thought the earth, well, I didn't. Others thought the earth was flat, you know. I mean, that was the popular conjecture at that time. But, you know, we found it wasn't. So why not embrace this too? Well, you know, uh, Victoria, I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your intellectual curiosity and your support. <laughs> I really do. But, it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like we're swimming upstream and I don't mind doing it. I know what the truth is. And, and by golly, by gum, I'm sticking to it. And I'll talk about it anywhere. And I have the evidence to back it up. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, we I do have quite a that. few uh, questions that have come in from the chat room. So I do want to uh, get to a few okay, of these. Okay, fire away. Yep. Uh, from Alina the Fam, if giants were the result of fallen angels, do you think it's possible that's why there's uh, highly evil and heartless people today? Wait. Say I'll, that I'll say it again. Yeah, yeah. If, if giants were the result of fallen angels, do you think it's possible that's why there's highly evil and heartless people today? Well, I mean, that that's a three-hour conversation, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's it is. I mean, there's no way I can give you a, a 30. That's that's the thing. That's the question that, that plagues humanity. Yeah. Why do we do the things that we do? 
uh, why do we have to have a police force in every city on the planet? Why is that? Because mankind's proclivity is to lie, steal, cheat, and rob. That's what we do. Now, not all of us do that, but many of us do. That's why the prisons are full. That's why the police do what they do. That's why the guy today shot two FBI guys down in Florida. He was killed. Child pornography. Three others were injured. Saw that. Yeah, that's, that's, oh. that's how it works. Terrible. There are evil people. Um, that doesn't mean, look, that, 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 that person that, you know, was shot today and killed, uh, who was watching the, the kitty porn, he didn't start out that way. He didn't start out that way. So, you know, there are many factors which contribute to a person, um, who they are, what they are, how they think. I mean, I had, when I say I had a, a Paul on the road to Damascus experience 40 years ago, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. This was had nothing to do with religion or monks with funny haircuts or rosary beads or stained glass windows or stinking incense stenchers or altar boys or pews or some guy yelling and screaming with a Bible in his hand. Nothing at all. I was alone in my room, and I asked. I said, if you're real, because I had tried everything else by that point, if you're real, come into my life. And I waited. Nothing happened. About two weeks later, I woke up, very intense dream, and that was the beginning of it when the dam broke. And then I was taken from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. But when that happened, I was really plagued, hounded. They did not want to let go of me. I was not possessed, but I was definitely oppressed, two of the nines. And it was, it was very, it lasted about two years. Very, very intense. And I had no idea why that was happening. Now I look back at it, it's training ground. My whole life, you know, I mean, I'm not, it might sound like I'm boasting. Please forgive me if you think I am. Fine. I'm not. But my whole life has, has geared up to what I do now. I'll tell you a quick little story. When I was five years old, all right, I was five years old. So I couldn't read. Big Italian family, big table on Sunday. Uh, the parish priest is eating with us, you know, the whole the whole deal. Italian, right? Wine is flowing, the spaghetti, ah, there you go. the pasta, the bread, the homemade bread, homemade ravioli. I mean, the whole, the whole nine yards. You're making me hungry for dinner, I guess. Well, I'm <laughs> but that's, that's what I grew up with. So my grandfather had this green hassock in front of his green chair, lever chair, and I used to sit on his lap. So one day I took the hassock. And I dragged it into the into the into the foyer, and the dining room was right next to the foyer. And I got the family Bible and I put it on the hassock, okay? Like that. Mm -hmm. And I started preaching to my family at five years old. And what I said to them was this: what is the truth? What is the truth? That's what I said. Now, I vetted this with my parents about before they passed away about four or five years ago. Also, my uncle and my aunt, who were still alive. And when I said, did I do this when I was a five? And they started laughing hysterically. <laughs> and they said, yes, yes. And the more serious, the, the, the harder we laugh, the more serious you got. Oh, that's, wow. that's what I came in to do. And I didn't realize it until my 60s. That's, that's when I started to actually speak at conferences and, and do what I'm doing now. I didn't do this 20 years ago. I was writing books. Very happy to just to be write a book and, uh, you know, thank you very much. And then we got into filmmaking. If you had told me 40 years ago I'd be doing this stuff, I would have gone, ah, run out of the room probably. <laughs> but, you know, that's here. You know, it's unbelievable. I'm 70 years old. We're making films. And uh, it's just it's just awesome. And and I believe that we're we're showing people if they look at the evidence we're, we're, we're revealing truth. We're presenting, here's the truth. And it jibes with the biblical prophetic narrative. It dovetails with it, with the biblical prophetic narrative. And we're not talking, again, we're not talking this, you know, this religious stuff. Uh, you know, people, oh, well, you're very religious. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's like, I, 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 don't, I don't think I am. I mean, oh, you're very spiritual. No, I'm not even, even that. I have a connection. That was given 2,000 years ago. Uh, that's what changed the world, the ancient world, 2,000 years ago. And that same connection is given freely to anybody who asks for it.
but it's a relationship. It's not religion. It's it's a relationship. And so, you know, I mean, we, we get I get Mark. Let me just tell you a story. OK, this right. is sometimes how it works. All right. So my wife is in the bathroom putting on her makeup. I'm in the bedroom. I'm getting ready to go. I'm impatient because I'm all dressed and ready to go. And she's still in the bathroom. And ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So, I certainly don't. No, not me. Of course not. <laughs> this is all natural. <laughs> and so it's 2017. I'm minding my own business. I'm just waiting for my wife. All of a sudden, he speaks to me. Not in an audible voice, but he speaks to me. He goes, Fatima. I just go, Fatima? And then I go, wait a minute. It's 2017. This is the 100th year anniversary of the Fatima apparitions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I run into the bathroom. Peggy, we're going to Portugal. She looks at me like I've lost my <laughs> mind. Right? A week later, we get a check from a person that we don't even know. I mean, I've never met this guy before. We've met him since for $12,000. Wow. Guess what? That paid for the airfare, the lodging, everything. We shot, we were over there for two weeks, and it paid for absolutely everything, the whole deal. Now, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And the film is very controversial. I will probably go back and re-edit it, because I that was my second and third film, and I know so much more about editing now and filmmaking than I did then. It's still worth the watch. A lot of good info, but I, I can sharpen it. And that's what I want to do when I get more time. And I will at some point, you know, at between two and three in the morning. But right. that's, that's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. Do you think you had this epiphany as a child? Because um, children really just, excuse my French, they just don't give a damn. Okay. You know, they're open, they receive. And I have found as I have progressed through life, I just don't care about what people think about me anymore. And since I've adopted that, um, you know, so many wonderful opportunities have come to me. Um, maybe that's what it takes. You know, you just give up what people think about you or you give up, you know, control, basically. You know, just live life. Well, you know, there's an ancient prophetic text which talks about, you know, uh, suffer not the little children to come to me. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you're like a child, you, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So yeah. is that is that just, you know, happy words or is there something else going on here? You know, that, that childlike innocence, that childlike faith. And look, I'm not, none of us are perfect. I mean, I, I blow right. it every day. Everybody blows it. We are, that's what we do. But we get back up and we, and we, and we press on and we continue. But, um, you know, circling back to the, to the, um, this, or tying this into the supernatural, uh, if these are, in fact, Nephilim sites, what we talk about in the third film, Secrets of the Supernatural Voices from the Other Side, we say, Russ Dizdar goes, one of our colleagues that, that is in the film, Russ says, if these are Nephilim sites, then we should see evidence of it. They, they will be charged. And we, we show that. Let me, let me tell you a story. I know we're running out of time. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so we are at um, the highest place in Newark, Ohio. All right. And it's, it's, it's a park and it's this huge burial. It's a huge hill that goes up. But it's the highest area in Newark, all right? Um, and it's called Geller Hill. Mike, you might know it. Geller Hill is what it's called. It sounds familiar. So we're up there. Fritz Zimmerman and I, my wife's up there. Uh, we've got a, a camera person with us. And, um, and also the Newark Paranormal Group is tagging along with us. They called Fritz and go, hey, we understand you guys are coming in. Can, can we come with you? And... Uh, uh, Fritz asked me, and I said, yeah, just make sure they don't get in the shot. And, of course, they were constantly in the shot. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that, thank you very much. <laughs> so it's a fine mist on Geller Hill. I can't fly the drone. We can't film. All right? So there's a forest about 50 feet, 50 yards, whatever, a, a, a short distance away. There's this uh, – I got something in my eye here. Excuse me. There's, oh, this, there's this manicured forest, beautiful path that, that winds its way down, and everything is groomed. It's really nice. And we go in there, and uh, we're out of the rain because it's just a very fine mist. But it's enough to can't fly a drone, can't film. 
So the New York Paranormal Group was with us, and this woman called Gailey, um, she pulls out this little device and turns it on, and all of a sudden I hear the word Evo. And I go, what? 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 what what's that? And she shows me, and she goes, well, this is a novelist. I go, oh, really? What's an novelist? And she goes, well, if there are entities or spirits around here, um, this enables them to communicate with us. So, you know, I know nothing about obelisks. I'm not really thinking about obelisks or what this thing may or may not be. I'm trying to make a movie. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so so we wandered down the path uh, a distance, and the thing spits out another word, which. So we have evil and witch. And the light bulb goes off. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, 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 I can't do this. This is high-tech necromancy is what this is. This is high-tech necromancy. This is all on film, all on film. It's not staged because you can't stage what the obelisk is going to do. Okay? Right. <laughs> Evil, witch, and I go, and I say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to shut this thing down. So I prayed and shut it down. Not me, but a power greater than I, okay? The one whom I represent. And I shut it down. And basically I said, Father, if there are... Our forces here, we command them to stop doing what they're doing, to, to just, we shut them down. In the name of Jesus, that's what I said. Okay? So she goes, should I turn it off? I go, yeah, turn it off. So she turns the obelisk off. We wait about 30, 40 seconds. This is all in film. It's all in film. So she goes, should I turn it back on? I go, sure. She turns it back on, holds it like this, waiting. It's about 20 seconds goes by. The word holy the word oh, holy wow. comes up on the obelisk, and she does this. This is this is the pay dirt for the whole all the nonsense. <laughs> she does this. <laughs> and that's it's literally it's like that. She's never seen anything like it. She can't believe what she's seeing. And we we sat down with the Newark Paranormal Group and 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 talked to them afterwards. And I said, Have you guys ever seen anything like that? And she said, No, we've never seen anything remotely like this. And all, all of our adventures and everything else. The obelisk, for those who don't know, has about 5,000 words in it. So just do the math on that. The chances of the word holy coming up after I pray. And this, they shoot me out of there. Marjorie, get out of here. <laughs> Shut everything down. Get out of here. So I walk back to the car. They spent another 45 minutes there trying to contact the spirits. They couldn't get anything. You broke the forest. <laughs> That's amazing, though. Yeah, yeah, Sometimes. really. Yeah, it's all, and it's all on film and Secrets <laughs> of the Supernatural. By the way, shameless plug, you can go to our streaming site, uh, streaming.lamarzulli.net, streaming.lamarzulli.net, streaming.lamarzulli.net. <laughs> you, you, you can download all six for like 25 bucks. Binge watch them all. Yeah. Six hours. We, we do have the link down in the description. So Thank you. Uh, you can... Go ahead and get that link. But that's great that you put that out there because when this goes out as an audio podcast later, they'll, they'll cool. need that. Yeah. <laughs> You're only in it for the money, Marzulli. Ah! <laughs> There's that too, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll say that. A um, couple other questions here that uh, we'll grab from the chat. This is from N.A. Uh, do you think descendants of the Nephilim live today? If so, how do we tell who is one? It's shifted. What do you mean by shifted? It gets into, and this is what we, um, this is another three-hour conversation. It really <laughs> is. But the bottom line is this, that the Nephilim all go away after the cross. But basically, that's it. And the fallen one changes his tactics. And now we move into the whole, exactly what Graham Hancock's talking about. The same type of thing, except it's different. And this is where people have come up to me with encounters they've had with hybrid entities. They're not giants anymore. They don't have six fingers, but there's all sorts of weird stuff going on with them. <clears throat> and we've had not a plethora of reports, but enough to know that that's the end game. That the same, look. There's an ancient prophetic text that says it will be like the days of Noah when I return. So, okay, what differentiates the days of Noah 
for many of a time in history. It's the presence of fallen angels and this hybrid entity known as the Nephilim. It doesn't say exactly like, it says it will be like, similar to the days of Noah. And that's exactly what's going on with the UFO phenomenon. Women are taken, ovum is taken from the women. Men are taken, sperm is taken, or they're forced to mate with a hybrid entity. We've heard that from numerous people, and on and on it goes. It's real. It's absolutely real. It's burgeoning and not going away. Okay. And speaking of uh, UFOs, Robert Hanna asked, do you believe the ancient UFO sightings were the same beings from other dimensions? Yeah, I think that we're going to, I call it the coming great deception. Uh, Congress has 180 days. Uh, they've demanded all the different intel organizations to cough up their stuff on UFOs. They have 188, 180 days to do it. It's actually less than that now. So you can you can bet your booties that, you know, uh, drawer number three in the final cabinet with all the good stuff will wind up in the uh, incinerator, guaranteed. They're not going to reveal everything, certainly not to the American people. Much of it will be redacted. But we're on, and I, I was on another show about an hour and a half ago, Okay. And I talked about we are on the seventh rung of the disclosure ladder. We are there, the seventh rung. So it's it's constantly moving upwards. Uh, Commander David Fravor, what I saw was tic-tac-shaped object on Tucker Carlson's show, right? He's, Fravor, F-18 pilot on Tucker Carlson, was not of this world. Luis Elizondo on Tucker stating that uh, we have crashed, we have metal from crashed UFOs in our possession. That's rung number two. Rung number three Chris Mellon comes back on, Tucker Carlson, also other shows, and basically says, we've tested the melon, excuse me, we've tested the metal, and there are isotopes in it not found on this earth. That's rung number three. Rung number four is when the Pentagon admits that UFOs, United Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAPs, which is just another name for UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects, they just change, you know, the initials there to have more acceptance are real. So UAPs are real, UFOs are real. That's rung number four. Rung number five, the government comes out and states on the record that we have in our possession off-world vehicles not created, not made on this planet. I mean, you would think that people would just go, oh my gosh, where are they from? Nothing, flatline. That's rung number five. Rung number six, which is really interesting, David Fravor comes back on Tucker Carlson's show again and basically states that when he got near that tic-tac-shaped object, okay, the thing jammed his radar. That's an act of war. Rung number seven, which is where we are now, um, basically Nick Pope was just on Tucker Carlson. I interviewed him, by the way, for our new sh one of our shows on UFOs coming up in the not-too-distant future, hopefully. But they've got 180 days to uh, uh, basically release and to Congress all their information on UFOs. So we are now on rung number seven. I think rung number eight will be some sort of video, maybe from Roswell, maybe from Aurora, maybe from another crash site, where we'll actually see the craft. I mean, it's it's going to be, it'll be mind-blowing. So and of course, how many rungs are there? Huh? Sorry. How many rungs on the ladder are there? Well, we don't know. Oh, okay. If I knew that, I'd be a genius. <laughs> we don't know. So the bottom okay. line, all the rungs on the ladder go up until full-blown disclosure. And full-blown disclosure to me, remember the way that it was amazing to watch. In the history of the world, we've never seen anything like it. When COVID hit, the entire globe locked down. The entire globe did it. We've never right. seen that before. The grid was lit up. Never in the history of the world, we've never seen anything like that. Well, can you imagine? Can you imagine if a mile-wide craft parks over New York City? Game over. Game over. That's all the news media, the whole thing, everyone will be talking. That's it. That's all you'll hear 24-7, 365, what's going on. That is what I have termed and called and coined, coined the phrase, the coming great deception. Because think, these are not yeah, extraterrestrials you, from some other planet. Right. They you, are interdimensional beings. Do you think everybody about. would would panic? No, you you see, like the old Brookings report, and you know what would possibly happen if if everybody found out that you know we're not alone in the universe, something like that. You know, a craft showed up over New York. You know, do you think everybody would? You know, today after we've been so inundated, uh, inundated. You know, with the possibility, Program. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, well, all these years of all the, you know, sci-fi movies and, and what have you, and now we're getting, you know, kind of like you talked about with the rungs, you know, piecemeal here, piecemeal there. Would we really panic these days? Well, let me ask you something. When, when the Pentagon states that UFOs are real, when the government comes out and says, we have off-world vehicles not made on this earth, and nobody does anything, there you go. Yeah. There, I mean, you would think, there'd be a modicum of curiosity and flatline. It's like the ambivalence is, is just, you can't even get my head around it. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're, they're, te- they, 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 they go up the ladder slowly, right? It's a test. Well, so con- okay. conditioning is a- yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, the American people did nothing on wrong. Number one, number two, number four, you number give seven, a little bit more. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's what's going on. They ratchet it up. Nobody does anything. I do. I'm flailing my arms here, people. <laughs> so uh, let me grab one more question here from the chat room before we wrap it up uh, from Sarah Yusuf back on the uh, elongated skull. So she was asking, uh, so do the skulls have the same number of base pairs as humans? Same as what? Same, same number, same of, number what? of base pairs. That's a real interesting question. We, we don't know that yet because we don't have a nuclear DNA. We don't, we, we, all we have, all we've been able to get so far with the tens of thousands of dollars that we've spent is where the haplogroups, the origin of the skulls. We have that, and we know that many of them are Middle Eastern, Eastern European. That rewrites history. It does, it rewrites history, but they don't want, the powers that be don't want to hear that. But, you know, look, when I go in there, um, the machine doesn't care about my Christian worldview. They could care less. You know, the machine is it's nonpartisan. It could care less what my beliefs are. You put it in, it spits out the info. Now, if you guys don't like the info, that's not my problem. All right. Just because I have a hypothesis that seems to validate my worldview, that these are not, you know, the result of cranial deformation. These are genetic anomalies, and they are global, they're worldwide. So we're looking at a hidden history, which has been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. And that's why we're on the trail. That's why we're on the trail of an Nephilim. <laughs> on the trail, yeah, that, that seems to be uh, kind of your, uh, your your motto there, on the trail, which is, it uh, is. definitely cool, on- definitely yeah. cool. <laughs> so we're getting down uh, to the end of the show, last couple minutes here, LA. Uh, you wanna go ahead and, and plug your site again, uh, and let everybody know where they can find all this great information. I'll go ahead and put the photos back up here. That's the new book, The Counter Move, How the Nephilim Return After the Flood. And episode six, you can see the elongated skulls there on the cover. Uh, you can go to lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net. There's, you know, I've written 13 books and produced or co-produced uh, upwards of, I think it's 18 films now. I've lost count, but whatever. And we're working on number seven, Lost Civilizations. But episode six, DNA, the final result. I mean, if you're at all interested in this stuff, it's it's not, it's it's academic. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've got some real heavy hitters, doctors, surgeons, anthropologists, archaeologists. We really, in other words, it's not it's not a Walt Disney movie, okay? It's not Star Wars. You know, you gotta you gotta pay attention, you gotta listen to it. But the evidence is there, by golly, by gum. And uh, that's why we did it. I mean, this is like, it's like, what is it, 2013? So this came out in 2020. It's seven years, six or seven years of research that went into this thing. Um, And like I said, tens of thousands of dollars to make this happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, uh, guys... Go ahead and check that out, lamarzuli.net. We have the links down in the description of the YouTube live stream. And if you're listening to the audio podcast later or the uh, KGRA radio broadcast, well, you were just given it, lamarzuli.net. Check it out. All right, LA, uh, it was great talking with you. Learned a lot this evening. Really do appreciate oh, yeah. it. <laughs> thanks, Victoria. Thanks, Mike. Oh, thanks. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, this nice was to a meet great you. <gasps> oh. Ah, there you go. He's my people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a great night. Yep. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.